Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella from Grief Recovering Now, your host for today and every podcast. So glad I'm here today. And before I start, I just want to say I am so infinitely grateful that you are here. Whether you are watching it in the United States, in Australia, or anywhere in the world, no matter where your headspace is, whether you're happy, thriving, or just in devastating grief, or just need to get outside of yourself and listen just a little bit about grief and the recovery part of grief. I know me, I like to listen to stories, and sometimes that gives me a moment to appreciate my humanity and accept my humanity when I may be going through a difficult time. So glad you're here today. And before I introduce our guest, Rebecca Whitman, I thought I'd talk to you about something I posted on social media last week. During this time of COVID and just the upheaval we're going through politically and through some of the movements that are going on today, like Black Lives Matter, LGBT, and just so many others, the division politically, on the right, the left, the middle, wherever you are, we're in an upheaval, and I believe that we're going through a transformation and we're recalibrating. And sometimes it, it is uncomfortable, but I believe it's good. In the long run, how we go through this, it's a fork in the road right now. How are we going to walk through it? So what, one of my questions that I asked on social media was, what expectations of normal am I letting go of today? What expectations of normal am I letting go of today? And I was thinking about for myself. I think of the little things, like I have not been to a really good restaurant for a long time, or even just sort of a normal restaurant where I'm sitting. And I've been to some cafes or whatever outside, but I mean, really having a good meal that I plan to just celebrate something like a birthday or someone else's birthday. I just haven't done it for months. It's not like I'm isolating at home. I just haven't been to good restaurants. I'm just cooking a lot. So that's not my normal is to cook. So that has been a change. And also, I have an uncle who passed away a few months ago. And our family always gets together on wakes and funerals. And we didn't get to do that for him. And that was very sad because he was a special uncle. And I would have had to fly to Chicago area to do it. I live in West Los Angeles, California. And then my other uncle, who was my Uncle Richie's brother, Uncle Joe, who's my mother who passed away when I was young, her other brother is dying, Uncle Joe, which is Rich, Uncle Richie's brother and my uncle. He's in hospice right now. And the family is all, I don't even know if they're around him while he's in hospice. It's a very painful time for our family in the last couple months. I would be at the hospital 
if COVID wasn't happening. I would fly there to say goodbye to him. He was one of my favorite uncles. I love all my uncles, but he was special, so loving. So that is a new normal for me. I can't show up to my family like I used to, but I'm going to show up in ways that, you know, I'll be, do something creative. So what expectations of normal are you letting go of today? Just ponder that. And let's get on with the show or the podcast with my friend and kindred spirit, Rebecca Whitman. Rebecca Whitman is a success mentor, graduate with honors from Princeton University, and author of the book, How to Make a Six-Figure Income Working Part-Time. Yes, that's true. She knows how to make a six-figure income working part-time. She hosts the Balanced Beautiful Abundant podcast. She has been a top producing salesperson and trainer in every industry from automotive, health, beauty, and performing arts with record-breaking results. She has studied with some of the great spiritual teachers of our time, like Marianne Williamson, Abraham Hicks, and Michael Beckwith, to name a few. In her workshops and coaching, Rebecca combines the metaphysical teachings, 12-step recovery, and business savvy to help people get extraordinary results. Her philosophy divides life into seven pillars of abundance, which include spiritual, physical, emotional, romantic, mental, social, and financial. And we'll touch on that a little bit during the show. She helps people achieve balance within these seven areas so they can experience more fun and freedom in life. Rebecca has been interviewed by Primetime Network news shows and on the hit streaming show, Good Morning La La Land. She also has been featured on popular radio talk shows like The Aware Show by Lisa Gar, The Source, and Late Night Health. In addition to speaking on multiple worldwide podcasts, she has shared virtual stages with great thought leaders like Grant Cardone, Jack Canfield, and Les Brown. So help me welcome Rebecca Whitman. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming in today. We are thrilled and honored you're here today. It's a special day. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you're welcome. And the reason why I had you on the show today and what motivated me is one of our conversations. We take walks a few times a month and we just connect as kindred spirits. We're on a similar path, but different. We're different, two different people. She's a graduate with honors from Princeton University. She's written a book. I'm a high school graduate. I'm a life learner. I, people go, what, what college did you go to? I said, SWU, Streetwise University. I've been a business owner. And we have some similarities as far as in business and our thought process. Some of the people she has worked with or trained with or worked with. We, we have similar philosophies, which is great. And I read her book, which is so dynamic and wonderful. And all her information will be on our show notes of the podcast. And she'll talk a little bit about that on the podcast. So I am just so thrilled. And, you know, success comes in a lot of different ways. But you know what's interesting? We can be thriving and still go through grief. I know this is grief recovery now. While the people I have on here are normally people most of the time, who have been through grief, loss, grief, and then the other side of grief. Grief is an important stage. I have people on here who are in the recovery and thriving part after grief. And I always want to share people like Rebecca on what's the other side of grief? Where is that rebirth? It's not easy. It's small steps and powerful steps. 
So Rebecca's going to share with us how she's walked through her own grief. And Rebecca, can you talk to us a little bit about your personal life? And, you know, as you were thinking about this podcast and grief and your seven pillars of success, tell us a little bit about your personal life. Yeah, the reason why I was so excited to be on the podcast is grief was a huge catalyst in my life. So the book that you mentioned, How to Make a Six-Figure Income Working Part-Time, it came about when my dad was on his deathbed in one of our last conversations. And he said, Rebecca, why don't you write something? You know, you were an English lit major from Princeton University, and you've never written anything. I don't care if it's an article for a magazine, a blog, an essay, anything. Just write and share your unique worldview. I wasn't really thinking about writing, but I wanted to honor my dad. And I was going to my financial planner's office and workout clothes where I'm in LA where people like live and work out clothes. And my financial planner was looking at my portfolio and going, wow, every time I see you, you're in workout clothes, yet your abundance is growing. So why don't you write a book and teach women how you're able to be in workout clothes all the time and make money, make six figures part time. And I said, you know what? That is going to be the title of my book. I wrote it as I was grieving my dad, but it really helped me with the grieving process because I knew that I was carrying out his dying wish. That's beautiful. Boy, that is a catalyst. How long did it take you after you talked to your dad to write the book? Was it immediate? Was it part of your grieving process and walking through the grief with your dad's passing and transition? Did it, was it? A year later? I mean, it was a year. You know, it was, uh, I just decided if I could write one chapter a month for a year. So I dedicated uh, 2017. My dad died in October of 2016. Starting January of 2017, I was like, if I could just write a chapter a month, I'll have a book by the end of the year. And that's exactly what happened. So I dedicated the book to my dad. And I I thought about him when I didn't want to write my chapter for the month. I was like, I thought of the conversation that I have with my dad and how he wanted me to write. And I just, I used the grief actually as a motivation to write. That's great. What a great, um, we have a similar teacher, Michael Beckwith. You're either pushed by pain or pulled by a vision. Which one were you with this? Wow, that's a good one. I think both. I was pulled by my dad's vision for me. That's what it was. Like he saw he saw me as right a writer when I didn't even see myself as a writer. I wanted to honor his vision for me and there was also a lot of pain, but the writing of the book helped me channel the pain into something beautiful. That's beautiful. So you got outside of yourself by honoring your dad's wishes. And while you were pulled by a vision, where did the pain come from with that? Were you afraid not to honor his wishes? Or was it something like your higher self talking to you? The the actual writing felt like channeling. The pain was that this was his dying wish, that, that my dad was no longer here, at least in the physical form. So you were fulfilling a promise to your dad? Yeah. I told him that I would write something. I didn't know what, but I said I was going to write something. That is great. I love that. Anything can happen. We don't know. And during that time, you also had a few losses in a short period of time. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah. So what happened was my marriage, the unraveling of my marriage was paralleling the last two years of my dad's life. So as my dad was slowly dying in a nursing home, my marriage was slowly dying. So I would go back and forth from Cincinnati to LA. My dad was in Cincinnati and I would have a lot of time to grieve because I was alone. When you travel alone and you fly cross country, I feel like I was grieving for both my marriage and my dad at the same time. And it's so funny because my dad's funeral was on a Wednesday and I signed my divorce papers on a Friday. So literally within 72 hours was the finalization of my dad's life and and my marriage. And they both ended the same week. So there was a lot of letting go. There was a lot of letting go. And it was like a whole, a whole rebirthing and letting go and just surrendering. And it was funny because I wanted my marriage to be the the divorce to be finalized a lot sooner. And my ex-husband was stalling and dragging his feet. And my dad knew that I really wanted to get divorced. And I feel like he helped me. Like one of the first things he did for me from the other side of the veil was to get that divorce finalized because 72 hours after his funeral, the divorce finally was uh, ratified. Wow, that is something. And how did you walk through it? I know we talk about the seven pillars of abundance, which include the spiritual, physical, emotional, romantic, mental, social, and financial. And before we get to that, I think you had one other loss during that time. Did you lose a beloved animal, a dog? I lost my dog right when I got married. So I lost my dog a few months after I got married. I was married for a short time, three years. So I lost my dog about three years before my dad's passing. That was, (laughs) that was a level of grief that literally I was on the bathroom floor crying and It was a soulmate dog and pets are so like intertwined with our daily existence, just like our daily day to day, how we wake up, how we go to bed, what we do during the day when we walk them and just having that part of my day that was so intertwined with my being just taken away. That was a level of grief and loss that I couldn't have even comprehended. So it was funny, my dad uh, was a psychiatrist. And he said that losing your dog is going to teach you how to grieve for me. He said that was he ill during the time or diagnosed he was already in his late 80s. So he, he knew that the end was eventually going to you know, be coming. He sounded like a very wise man. He was very wise. Animal grief. A human being is different than an animal love. Animals are so unconditional, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So I've had a few animals die and I didn't have any, really any regrets about my animal because I believe I treated them well, fed them very loving. So it wasn't like they never talked back to me or anything like that. It's, there was no, I should have said this, should not have said that, should have showed up, should not have showed up. Maybe I wish I would have taken, taken them out more on longer walks or something like that. But in a human loss, like your father and your marriage, how did you walk through, I could have, should have, would have with your dad and then with your husband? Well, with my ex-husband, I felt like I tried everything like couples counseling and I tried, you know, Al-Anon, the 12-step program. I really 
feel like I tried everything and then my friends tried like everybody like in my inner circle was trying to save the marriage and it just it wasn't savable and I felt like I left no stone unturned so I had no regrets with my dad that was a little bit more complicated because I moved to LA in 2001 and my dad would always say you know move home move home I miss you I want to see you more I felt like I maybe could have spent more time with my dad and then also been more present because like many people, I'm totally addicted to my phone and like compulsively on my phone all the time. And so when I was with him, I was usually with him, but also multitasking and doing stuff on my phone because death is so final. I wish I would have just like left my phone in my car when I was with him and just really drank in his presence more. So that's a regret. Yeah, that's an important realization Mm -hmm. that many, I'm sure, can relate. Yeah, because it's so painful watching someone die and it's a nursing home is not a very pleasant place. I think I was using my phone to anesthetize myself a little bit to the reality. Yes. And I wish I would have just been more present to the whole, even though it was painful to see him in a nursing home and to see people dying, it's... It's something that I would have benefited from being more present, even though it was extremely painful. Yes. Well, they have a thing we talk about in grief recovery and the methodology that I work with, the educational methodology. We talk about STIRBs, short-term energy relieving behaviors. And even while your father was alive and going through, you know, getting older, his life is, could be closely ending that maybe the phone was a short-term energy reliever because sometimes when you're with that I think we grieve sometimes while we are losing people when we know the end result could be you're not going to be he's not going to be on the planet anymore or your life in the physical form and just to get into the stirbs of short-term energy relieving behaviors can you talk to us about some of the things you used before the show, we talked about some things you used in your life that were short-term energy relieving behaviors that you use, like working out, you worked out, but you did it because it got you out of the house, but any other short-term energy relieving behavior? Yeah. I mean, working out was a huge one um, that really, it actually helped me with the grieving process because I would dedicate my workout to my dad because I knew that he was like unable to move and in a bed. And I'd be like, wow, my dad was such an athlete. I'm just going to work out like for both of us. Um, Online shopping. (laughs) That actually was a short term energy release behavior. Uh, Amazon is just like instant gratification. You hit two buttons and then something shows up at your door. I think those were the two And then busyness, that would be the third thing, just being so busy that I was just literally like too busy to feel my, my pain and my grief. You're probably not the only one in the world who does that. And something just happened recently. You had some surgery on a gallbladder and we, I was on your podcast and you had talked about that the gallbladder is, is related to anger. And you talk, and these are some other losses and experiences that could bring up grief. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and your awakening through, oh my God. Yeah. Well, if you don't fully feel and express something, it gets held in the body. That's why it's called dis-ease and the gallbladder holds on to anger. And I know that anger is a huge part of grief. And I don't think 
I let myself feel the anger about losing my dad and losing my marriage. And I think my gallbladder got diseased because of that. And I mean, I was hospitalized during COVID for five nights for emergency gallbladder surgery. And I got to just stop and be present and rest. And honestly, I don't think I grieved as much as I was just so grateful that I was alive and just valued how fragile our lives really are. I never thought even the day before that I would be in the emergency room getting emergency surgery and like life can just change on a pin and a needle and just being connected to tubes all week. And it was just like humbling and it helped me really realize like what a gift life is and what a gift health is and health is wealth. And if you have your health, you have everything, even if you are grieving. If you have your health, you can get through it. But if you don't have your health, you have nothing. And when you were in the hospital, knowing you, like, did you know the gallbladder was related to anger? Or did you Google while you were there? I know myself, if I'm in pain or just perplexed about something, we have a great tool called Google and other resources on the internet that we can look things up. I think about people who are having challenging times if they want information. So I'm not saying all the information's right. Did it help you get some understanding and a connection with that gallbladder happening? Or did you know the gallbladder was directly related to anger? You discovered that? I did know that it was connected because I had another gallbladder attack six years prior where they wanted to remove it. And then I saw an acupuncturist and they told me that the gallbladder is related to holding on to anger, but that still didn't <laughs> help me release the anger. I still held on to it. So I knew it, but it didn't, it didn't affect how I handled my anger. Right. Well, I learned something from it. I was like, wow, I learned something new today. It makes me want to check out other parts of the body that may be bothering me and knowing that it's just, doesn't just happen. Our emotions are very powerful and grief is very powerful. As I said earlier, you know, we can be thriving and still experience grief. And there is some grief filters that may not be beneficial to our life and may show up in characteristics that don't serve us like anger, self-righteousness or whatever in a certain population relationships. You talked about relationships. And so I'd like to talk about your seven pillars of abundance, uh, again, like in your spiritual side of the loss, how did you get to that other side? I know you've been a spiritual person and can you talk a little bit about your spirituality and how, what helps you walk through the world in some of your losses? I know your losses weren't just your beloved soul dog, your marriage or your dad. How do you walk through life? And if you, you know, did you have a psychic change? I know, you know, 12 steps and experience that. How have you had a psychic change in your life? Cause you didn't pop up and Hey, I'm Rebecca Whitman. I'm right here right now. Going to was that way from birth. Can you no, talk about a little bit about your grieving process and emotions that you went through? I think surrender is a huge part of my spirituality and how I walk through grief and loss. So Prior to being on a spiritual path, I was a control freak and a perfectionist. And I really thought that if I just had all my ducks in a row and everything looked perfect and I could exert control over people, places, things, and situations that I would be okay. And I was literally like white knuckling it through life. And then I started losing things despite my perfectionism and control. 
one of the biggest rejections I had was in college. I wanted to get into this exclusive social club and all my friends got in and I didn't. And I was all about like looking good and outside approval and outside validation. And it just like pummeled my ego. But to quote Michael Beckwith again, he says, a bad day for the ego is a good day for the soul. So that kind of helped me hit a bottom where I started going on a spiritual path. And I realized that I can take action and go after things like wanting to be in a club or wanting to get a certain career milestone or wanting to have, you know, a marriage that lasts forever. But then ultimately I have to surrender to what happens, which in my opinion is God's will for me. And then beyond that, to know that God's will for me is even better than what I planned. So it's just deeper and deeper levels of surrender and faith and believing that I live in a friendly universe and that all things are working together for my highest good, even when I don't see it at the time. I love that. That is beautiful. Thank you. And we talked about financial. You went to Princeton. It sounds like your father was a doctor and... You've had wonderful things in your life and the material. Has what you've been through in any of your loss affected that part of your life? I haven't always had financial abundance. So when when I was right out of college, I was determined to be financially independent from my parents because they were trying to control me by paying for stuff. Well, like I'll pay for this, but you have to be like this. And I was like very rebellious. So I started in this network marketing company and I wasn't very successful. I had five or 10 roommates in a two bedroom apartment and we were like eating like hot and sour, pint of hot and sour soup for dinner and peanut butter and rice cakes for lunch. And we weren't very successful yet financially because we were just starting out in our twenties. What got, what got me through that was just To go back to what you said earlier, Charlene, I was pulled by the vision of being financially independent, not relying on my parents, being able to go to restaurants and eat out and not having to eat hot and sour soup for dinner. So I was just so focused on the future and what I could be and what I would create. And it also drove me like, I don't want to have to like have 10 roommates and eat peanut butter and rice cakes for lunch, you know, for the rest of my life. So It actually motivated me to learn about sales and learn about business. And now my teachings now, they combine business and metaphysical principles. So both of them, I was studying at the same time to kind of create what I have created now. Can you talk a little bit about the metaphysical? Before that, I want to ask you about the, I don't want to forget this. You had 10 girls, nine, 10 girls in your home, right? Did it help, even though it must have been uncomfortable, people taking clothes, taking your food out of the refrigerator, all that kind of stuff. Did they, did the peer-to-peer support help you with that vision? Did you guys help propel each other? I know we don't do things on our own. How was that working with, you know, you weren't alone in a studio apartment having all this motivation. And I don't know, maybe that would have worked for you. But with all these people in your life that could have been really challenging relationships, learning how to be in relationships through the thrills and chills of it all. Can you talk to me about the the peer-to-peer? And the reason why I bring it up is just when we are sharing challenging moments, that it helps us get to this other side of grief or sorrow, uncomfortableness, anger, or whatever. How Can you talk about your your group home, your group apartment. It was funny because I say it was the best looking group of, of broke people I've ever hung out with in my life because 
we would go do our sales presentations and be wearing like cute little pantsuits and driving around in Mercedes and Lexus. And then we would go home and like have all these roommates and not be living very well. So I loved the group aspect of it. It was it did help because we all had the same vision and we all would lift each other up and we would get discouraged and the other ones would lift each other up. And it was that was the best part of it. I don't think I could have done it alone. It wouldn't have been as fun if I did that kind of a journey alone of wanting to go from like, you know, rags to riches, so to speak. So yeah, having the group aspect is really fun. And that is why I encourage people if you are going through grief or going wanting to undertake a really big goal or vision to find a team or a group to go through it with you. It's, it makes it easier and more fun. Yes. And, and I know your life is full of, how can I say, in 12 Steps and some of the other organizations, your mastermind groups, you show up to them. You're a contributor and also a receiver. How can we tell the people who are listening, who may be just afraid to reach out, And I know you're outgoing and so am I, and not everyone's like that. If you were to coach someone, because I know you are a coach and she's available. And um, what would you tell someone who's a little bit more different, maybe a little bit more introverted? You know, it's funny, Charlene, on the Myers-Briggs test, I am actually an introvert. I'm a learned extrovert, believe it or not. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm happy being alone at home as well. So what I would tell people is community breeds immunity. So we're, you know, in a pandemic, we're wanting to build our immunity. Being alone is like being a lone wolf. If you're a lone wolf out in the wilderness and you're away from your pack, you're susceptible to injury, death, getting eaten by another animal. But if you're in a pack, you have protection, you have people that have your back. It's more fun hunting. It's more fun playing when you're in a pack. So I would tell people it's okay to have your alone time and rejuvenate if you're an introvert. Introverts do need their alone time and their downtime, but also it's a lot more fun and it's a lot easier to be successful with a group behind you. There's something about a group where you can learn from everyone, you can contribute, you can receive. I just, yeah, I'm involved in several mastermind coaching programs. I coach, I am coach. It's I'm learning all the time. And I believe every time someone opens their mouth, they're a teacher. So I'm like listening on the edge of my seat. It could be the newest person in the group has the best wisdom for that meeting. You never know. Right. And it's, I, I know what has helped me. And I think this has helped you. Like sometimes you have to get off of yourself and you hit it on the head when you said about listening, an active listener, active listening to others, even I think if you want to watch a video about someone's story or listening to this podcast and your experience, and we talk a lot about experience, strength, and hope that the organizations and 12-step groups, support groups, peer-to-peer groups, they, they foster that. And if somebody is an extrovert and isn't a learned extrovert, how would you say, I know it when I was in sales 
And it taught me later because I started very young. It was like, pick up, and we didn't have cell phones then, pick up that 100-pound phone. Sometimes all you have to do is pick up that cell phone, mostly try to be verbal, but if you feel you just need to text or email, just say hello. Do you have a moment, especially in the phone calls? And some of the people you coach, what do you suggest for them if they're having a hard time and they want to share something, they're in grief, or they maybe experience a loss that may be coming up and they're anticipating it, or they just went through a devastating loss or trauma. What would you suggest or coach your your clients to do, or even friends and family? I would tell them to call three people a day and ask them, how are you feeling? And put the focus on someone else. And then it's inevitable that at least one of those people will say, well, how are you feeling? And then you can share. But if you call people and you're all of a sudden venting or dumping, that might be a little overwhelming. But I like starting off the conversation with, hi, you know, Charlene, how are you feeling today? What's coming up for you today? And then really listening, because that helps me get out of my own grief. And then it's inevitable that one of those three people will ask me how I'm feeling, and then I can share. So that's what I tell people. I like the sentence, how are you feeling today? And then ask questions. And if you're not in the art of the conversation and you're wondering, ah, some people just have an easy flow conversation, it is a skill. It doesn't take long to learn. It's an acquired skill. Just ask, oh, and then what happened? It's, a, it's about asking questions. The art of conversation is the art of asking questions and listening. Yes. And ask, hey, I need some help. I'm, ha- I'm really sad. I lost my mother. I know you have, you know, find someone who's a peer. Peer is someone you could relate to through losses, through, you know, similar works or things in common. So pick people who are safe, organizations that are safe. 12-step, if you have alcohol or drug problems, call a 12-step group if that's what your, what your issue could be. That could be a, you can never have drunk, but you have a loss and you start drinking for some reason. I don't know if it would have been a problem before or maybe not. I don't know. Just explore. You don't have to stay in it. You can always just ask questions about someone else or what they went through. And also, of course, share. It doesn't mean you be mute about what your emotions are or an experience you just did. I have a group called Grief Recovery Now group. It's a private group that anyone who's ever interested, please, please come. I love it. I'm building it. It's part of the Grief Recovery Now movement and would love for you to join and it will be on the notes and the podcast. And Rebecca, do you have a, a private group that you have put on Facebook or anything you'd like to share? Yes, I have a balanced, beautiful, abundant group on Facebook. I also have a podcast called Balanced, Beautiful, Abundant. And I do coaching, I do group coaching, I do one-on-one coaching, and I coach people through these seven pillars of abundance, because when they get all seven areas to a level 10, they can get through grief, they can create abundance, they can meet the love of their life, they can get their body in the best shape ever. And the seven pillars are spirituality, fitness, emotional, romantic, mental, social, and financial. And if you're not sure which area you want to work on, I even have a free quiz that I'm happy to gift your listeners with. And you can kind of see where you're out of alignment so you know what areas you want to focus on. 
So it's a free questionnaire. That's awesome. And you give a free consultation too? Yes, I give a free 30-minute coaching call. So whatever you want to create in your life, whatever goal you have, or if you just want someone to listen to you, or if you want to laugh with someone or cry with someone, I am like totally there to hold space for you. And just remember this kind of call into a Rebecca or any organization, not even an organization or even a friend. And sometimes when you're in that grief and all alone, you think I have no friends. That's just our illusion of life. And maybe you don't have any friends. Let's teach. Rebecca can teach you how to be able to, how do you cultivate friendships? And that's all part. You never know. I believe grief. If you are in the grieving experience, there is light after grief. Even Rebecca, who is an introvert. Now she's this learned extrovert. I could speak to that because I talk with her and I see her around in social situations and she just recharges differently than an extrovert. She goes within and she gets quiet. I'm an extrovert. I love my alone time, but I also get energy from people. And I'm just so thrilled. I'm, I want to think what else is going on. Romantic. We talked about that a little bit. Our mental state, our social state, our financial, our physical, emotional. It's like sometimes just have that on your bathroom, you know, all these pillars of success. And when a lot of times people think about abundance and they think it's about money, it isn't about money. Think of when you're thinking about these seven pillars of abundance, it's abundant physical health, abundant emotional health, abundant romantic life, abundant mental. Remember, let's change our thinking. It's not about money. People think money brings you happiness, even in grief. I think of some of the richest people in the world. Some people are miserable if they haven't tapped into their grief or haven't tapped into underlying conditions, whether it be a mental health issue or thriving in one area, but feeling miserable, have a lot of money, but I'm miserable. I, we've both been in business. I've had meetings with CEOs who they would talk to me. They have these golden handcuffs and they're miserable. They're grieving their, their change in how they feel about their business where maybe 20 years they've been gung ho in a successful business. Anyone who is in a C level CEO, CFO, or entrepreneur, you can have a business for a long time. And all of a sudden something shifts. It's not working anymore. It's not fitting you. There is a grieving process with that of a letting go of it. I know I've been through that and take a look at that, explore that in your life. And so glad we were together today. Anything you'd like to leave our, with listeners, like give us three little nuggets of a Rebecca Whitman. Well, to me, I've redefined success as the amount of joy that I feel. So I don't define success by money because like you said, you can have all the money in the world. And if you're miserable, what good is it? So I would encourage your listeners, especially if they're going through grief, to find joy in your day. Whether it's, you know, buying yourself beautiful flowers or playing with your pet or reading a great book or taking a, you know, a warm bubble bath, whatever it is to find joy in your day. So that's one nugget. Another is to put yourself first. So when, when somebody's dying, the person who is their caretaker is also usually going through a lot of health issues because they're putting the other person first to be the caretaker. So if you're a caretaker or if someone has recently passed, put yourself first. That means radical self-care. 
getting eight hours of sleep, working out, drinking plenty of water, eating healthy, nourishing food. There's nothing wrong with putting yourself first. Women are taught to put everyone else first and that they're selfish if they put their own self-care first. But I teach the exact opposite. I teach women that if you put your own self first, then you can show up for other people because then you're, you're pouring from a full cup. So that's the other thing. And the third thing I would say is even though life and death, there, there's nothing more serious, but still you can have an attitude toward life that's playful, that's light, because we're all going to die. We're all going to the same place. You know, all roads lead to the same place. So why not have a playful attitude about it? My dad used to say there's nothing beyond humor. Not, and he was, he was cracking jokes until his last breath. So have a playful attitude about it because we're not here forever. And the fact that we are impermanent, it is kind of funny, you know, that we take everything so seriously and yet we're not going to be here one day. So why not have a playful attitude and, and be more lighthearted about life while we're here? Right. And there is a time to grieve. We're in your devastating grief. It's not a broken brain problem. It's an emotion. It's not even a problem. Grief is not a problem. It's not a, a um, doing something wrong thing. You're going to experience it through your loss. It's appropriate. We recalibrate through that grief. Take what it takes, what it takes. And as time goes on, the lightness will come. I promise you. There's a time and a place for laughter for deep grief to experience it or have both at the same time. I know my friend was dying from cancer and we're all laughing in her room. And she would say, I'm going to, one time she said, I came in on a Monday and she said, you know, I told my nurse I wanted to die this weekend. And she goes, oh, okay. And afterwards on that Sunday night or Monday morning, my friend who was dying, who eventually died said, well, I guess it's harder to die than I thought. And before that, we were having lunch and I go, I'm going to miss you and all that. She goes, well, I have to tell you, it's going to be harder for you than it is for me. <laughs> we just After she knew she, when, when she um, transitioned out. So it was fun. It's not always going to be that way with every situation, but somehow memories and all that bring up memories when, when the situation is happening. Talk about what's there. Name it. That's, I think, is a, an important thing through the sadness, no matter devastating trauma, trauma and all that. I know we have to go through all of that. But in time, I know if I didn't laugh, I would have died. Yeah, absolutely. And you can you can grieve and laugh at the same time. You can literally be laughing and crying at the same time. So feel the emotions as they come and let them just go right through you and don't fight them. Yeah. And don't judge them. The emotions are like the weather. You know, the emotions are always changing. Sometimes it rains, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's overcast and it's okay. But your soul, who you really are is, is the constant. Yes. Well, Rebecca, it has been a total joy to have you today. And I hope maybe one day you'll come on again and share your your lovely self and anything new that may be coming in your life in the next year or two come come back and join us it was a real pleasure to have you on thank you so much charlene it was a pleasure to be on your show and i'm so happy that you're sharing your message of recovering from grief with the world so i love what you're doing Thank you so much. Also, everybody, we are on all the podcast platforms. So please join us. And remember my Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now, private group. 
it's under Charlene Gorzella and Grief Recovery Now. It's the private group, not the page, but the private group. Also, what I discovered, and I'm sure it can happen on Rebecca's podcast, is I have Alexa. And I asked Alexa one day, I go, I'm going to try and see if my podcast will come up. I go, Alexa, I don't know if everyone has it, but I know a lot of people do. Alexa, play Grief Recovery Now with Charlene Gorzella. And she goes, playing now, Grief Recovery Now with Charlene Gorzella. I was like, oh my God, I was so happy. So you can get podcasts on, on Alexa, not only mine, but other podcasts, including Rebecca Whitman's. And so we're signing off. Till next time, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Sending lots of love and hugs and peace and joy. Till next time, bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash GRMS forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.